0: Our first reading today is from Ezekiel chapter 37 verses 1 to 14 the hand of the Lord was on me and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley it was full of bones he led me back and forth among them and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley bones that were very dry he asked me son of man can these bones live I said As i was commanded and as i was prophesying there was a noise a rattling sound and the bones came together bone to bone i looked and tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them but there was no breath in them then he said to me prophesy to the breath prophesy son of man and say to it this is what the sovereign lord says come breathe from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live So I prophesied as he commanded me and breath entered them and they came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say, our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of israel then you my people will know that i am the lord when i open your graves and bring you up from them i will put my spirit in you and you will live and i will settle you in your own land then you will know that i the lord have spoken and i have done it declares the lord our second reading today is ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 to 10. not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do.
1: Thank you, Heather. And why don't we say thank you extra, Heather, because you see she got a little limp there. Heather, you killed it. Say thank you, Heather. And thank you, Maddie, as well. Great to have you guys helping. Um. Good morning, good to be with you. You know, in 1963, the world was ever more changed by a speech that in content and composition was simply breathtaking. It was the words you know well of Martin Luther King, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who shared the dream he had for a new America. It didn't just change America, it changed the world. And as he spoke... He changed things, but some have misunderstood what Dr. King was trying to achieve. This is not an anti-discrimination speech. No, it's not. This was a speech to improve discrimination. This was a speech because Dr. King knew that it was folly and it was wrong to discriminate for arbitrary reasons such as race or the color of one's skin. But Dr. King also knows that to have no discrimination is not a wise way to live. It's not a safe way to live. So instead of saying, hey, let's never discriminate again, he said, I have a dream that someday the folly of judging my children based on the color of their skin will end. And instead, you'll make wiser decisions. You'll assess the content of their character. And by assessing the content of their character, you'll discriminate as to who you should be in partnership with who you should promote, who you should demote, who you might want to be friends with, how you receive my children. Dr. King knew that it was wise to discriminate intelligently in the same way that you do, or you wouldn't have made it here safely this morning. You knew which lights to stop at, which lights to go at, and you made a decision on the orange ones what to do. I'll leave that with you. To discriminate is essential for skillful living or wisdom. To discriminate is essential for skilled life. It's essential for reading uh, Paul's letter to the Ephesians. For this letter calls us to understand, discriminate, and see the difference and respond appropriately to different categories. For example, as you will see on the screen, Ephesians starts by showing us that there is a place called heaven, there is a heavenly realm, and there is an earthly realm, and the two are not the same. Ephesians will call us over the next coming weeks to see the difference between sinner and saints, heaven and earth, husband and wife, slave and free, Jew and Gentile, dead and alive. And Ephesians will teach us, as it has already from chapter 1 verse 10, that all of these things, these things that we must recognize are different, these things that are often separated, are brought together in unity under the Messiah he is the one who has the power to be the linchpin between heaven and earth this is the story that Paul's preparing us to understand now if we recap last week Robin did an amazing thing for us just a very simple thing that opened up this book for us see before you can know what the Bible means you got to pump the brakes and work out what does the Bible say and he slowed us down and said did you notice when Paul says we and us Did you notice when Paul says you? Did you notice when Paul says our? And he showed us that Paul was addressing different people groups that we need to discriminate and understand how they function under God. Let's do a little recap. You guys probably know by now for the last four years I've always sat here. This is where I sit. So when I say us, maybe I mean this fantastic block of people just here. When I say you... I mean the even more amazing people who sit in these three blocks. And praise be to God when I say, and this is our space to gather in Christ's name, we means all of us. And I thank God for the hour because I found out some time ago, I think I shared with you, I'm 30% Northern European Jew. I'm 30% African. I was born in Australia. My name is Dutch. And there's two very special Americans over here who have like adopted my family. I'm the international man of mystery who, replies up, who relies upon the ourness of God. But it's, see, when we understand this sort of discrimination, we're loaded and ready to see what Paul wants to teach us, what God wants to teach us. Because this is a story where Paul has said, hey, did you know that Christ, the linchpin of all things, has rescued us. Did you know that Christ has brought the blessings of heaven to earth? He's brought God to us. What Paul wants to do so that we would understand the amazing grace of God is he tells us an origin story. And here's where we're going to begin this morning. He wants to show us, firstly, where it all begins. To show us where it all begins, he gets his big pointer finger out and he says, you! You! Guys, help me out. Everybody say, you. You. Not you. You. Yeah. Hey, watch yourself. You. He's pointing his finger at this point to non-Jews. And what does he say to the non-Jews in verse 1? He says, well, as for you non-Jews, you are dead in your transgressions and sins. Now, let me offer you the Dirk's translation of Ephesians chapter one. As for you, you were dead in your whoopsies and your poopsies. Transgressions and sins are not exactly the same, but they both result in death. They're the whoopsies and the poopsies. Whoopsies are, where well, you just mess it up, right? You trip up. You make a mistake. You didn't know. You go, well, you shouldn't have gone. Oh, whoopsie, I've transgressed. Poopsies are things you make. Oh, poopsies are the sin. This is where I know I should be there, but I choose to be here. I know it's right for you, but I know it will help me. And if I do this, I can gain the up. And sometimes there's some maliciousness there. You might say this is the things we do with the low hand and the things we do with the high hand, the whoopsies and the poopsies, but make no mistake, Paul wants us to see here the dysfunction of humanity in transgression and in sin, in whoopsie and in poopsie, we go astray and we mess it up. And he says to these Gentiles, you were dead in your transgressions and your sins. Now you might say, particularly if you're a Gentile and feeling the finger at you, I'm feeling it at like 70% of me, I guess. I wasn't dead. I was living my life. I was doing stuff. Why does Paul say I was dead? Well, he explains in verse 2, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is at work in those who are disobedient. He says you were dead in your whoopsies and poopsies because you were dead disciples. What's a dead disciple? Well, a disciple is a follower, and you were following the ways of death because you weren't following the prince of life, Jesus. You were going a different way. In fact, Paul might even be a little bit sarcastic at this point as he's speaking to Jews who had God's law given to Moses at Sinai, passed down through the fathers. The Jews were called to follow the instruction of God or the Torah, so he says, but as for you Gentiles who don't have the Torah, you are following the, the, wait, what's your code again? The, the air. You're just trying to figure it out. And figure it out, humanity's been trying to do. We follow the air, just the realm in front of us. We go looking for Direction. And sometimes we see another creature, another person. And sometimes we worship them. It's by surrendering to them that they might approve us or attempting to overpower them that we might gain control. Sometimes in following the air, we look upwards and seeking to find God in heaven, we find false religion, we find idols in our own concepts of who God would be. And we follow and we worship. Sometimes when we're following the air, we bump into mirrors and find ourselves. Bump into things like narcissism or desperation of satisfying what this one needs or what this one can achieve for validation. And as we follow these air concepts, There's a ruler of the air who delights. The Satan, the devil, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, who loves nothing more than human dysfunction and disorientation that walks away from the Lord, chasing after all kinds of things and not knowing that it's dead and he delights. Paul says, Finger out, you non Jews, you were dead in that discipleship, in that following of the kingdom of the air. And just as the room in Ephesus for every non Jew and Jew alike gets really awkward, the letter goes on in verse 3. Would this side of the room please say, Us? Us, he says, All of us. All of who? All of Israel. Verse 3 All of us who lived among them, that is everyone else, at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. He says, You know what? You have the air. We have Torah. We have God's instruction. And you know how different we were? Not very different. We, just like you, were following our own passions gratifying our own desires rather than seeking after God and following the instruction he had given us because we were his chosen people. We, like you, were dead in oopsies, whoopsies, and poopsies, missing out and being dead under God. We were lost following these passions. Paul says, you know what, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, if you're a human you're dead in sin and transgression. There's a significant problem. And here's where we've got to pause for a moment and visit a doctrine that has been held in the Christian church for centuries. It's underspoken. It's a difficult pill to swallow. But unless we understand it, we never fully comprehend the grace of God and what he has done. This is called total depravity. Humanity is totally depraved. Before you freak out, this doesn't mean you're as bad as you could get or I'm as bad as I can get, at least I don't think I am. If it meant you're as bad as you can get, I wouldn't have come this morning. It would not be safe. But what this does mean is that we're dead disciples who tend to follow the prince of the air. What it does mean is that when we look for God, our our sinful... Whoopsies and poopsies' eyes make mistakes or deny what we see and we don't see clearly. It means when we listen for God's voice, our whoopsies and poopsies' ears don't always hear quite right and distort the message. It means even when God does speak, even when God does show, our minds that are tainted by human dysfunction and whoopsies and poopsies process poorly. And our hearts love disproportionately and in distorted ways. The whoopsies and the poopsies have got the better of us folks. And total depravity is the space we step forward in humility and say, yep, that's me. There's no part of my being that has not been affected by the whoopsies and the poopsies of transgression and sin. And as I've reached around I acknowledge my deadness. So we've hit the rock bottom right now. And Paul says that God declares, in that state, Jew and Gentile alike, all of humanity, objects of wrath. God's righteous anger. We're we're rightly his enemy. And he's rightly trying to get rid of the evil in the world. And the evil is us. But, and here's our next point. Going on to verse four, but God. This is how God responds. This is what Paul says, but because of his great love for us, we've all heard God is loving. And we get challenged when we think about a God of discrimination and the God of justice and the God of wrath is also a God of love. So now Paul's gonna teach us about the God of love in, wait, uh, in the wake of our total depravity. What does a God of love do? Well, God steps forward in his love and he demonstrates his love with what I will call the two cousins of love. The cousins of love are mercy and grace. They're related, but they're not the same first of all, we've already come to understand that because we're dead disciples, we became objects of wrath. God, because of his great love for us, first and foremost, demonstrates his love in his rich mercy. Mercy is when you don't get what you deserve. So we deserve wrath. We deserve condemnation. We deserve God to come against us. We deserve, think schoolyard, primary school, forget that you're a Christian for a moment, someone punches you, what do you want to do? Punch them back. But you don't. God holds back what we deserve. And what do we deserve? We deserve his wrath. Here is the first cousin of God's love. Mercy does not give us what we deserve. Here's the other cousin of God's love grace if mercy is when you're not given the ill that you do deserve grace is when you're given the wonderful stuff that you don't deserve and so we read on that God because of his great love for us God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions it is by grace you have been saved God makes us alive in Christ. I'm going to stop for a moment because we need to pause and understand this really well that we might get God's grace. We might think of Jesus as Savior. I suspect we do. And if I said to you, isn't it amazing that it's like you're drowning, drowning in the ocean and you're trying to swim but the water keeps coming and you realize that I'm not going to make it. And then... God comes by. You know, help, God, help. And God throws you a rope. And you grab the rope because you're faithful. And God pulls you in, and now you're saved. Great gospel, great story. It's a half truth, according to Ephesians. You see, if that scenario was to play out according to Ephesians, then when God comes along and throws you a rope, you know what happens? It donks you on the head and you stay face down dead in the water. Nothing changes. Sometimes we wrestle because it challenges our human idea of power and God's amazing agency when we read parts of the Bible like chapter one in Ephesians that speak of God choosing, God predestining. We say, is that love? Think about it like this. When you're dead, God forbid, but when you're dead, let's say that happens today, something bad happens in your kitchen and you're lying on the floor, dead, you're dead, all right? Who's gonna ring triple zero? You? Emergency, what service would you require? Ambulance, please. What seems to be the problem? Well, I'm actually dead and I'm speaking to you from beyond the grave, and I'd love if someone could come and help me. That doesn't happen. No one's ever made that call because dead people don't ask for help. Here's the first installment of God's love shown in grace. When you were dead, and I was dead, and in in a state unable to ask for help, in fact, following the ruler of the kingdom of the air and seeking help in every other place, God came out and went, that guy looks like he needs help. The good news is, I've decided to help him. See, God acted 1st wait, how does that work? Just think in history. It was 2,000 years ago that Jesus died on the cross for me. It was 44 years ago that I started sinning. So God moved first on the rescue attempt. The doctrine of predestination is the doctrine of a God so loving That he came looking for the dead people. That he came and went, I must rescue some of these dead people. So how does he rescue? Oh, so that's when he throws the rope. Now some of you, some of you would have seen the old movie Top Gun. And you might remember the scene. Get the tissues ready. Terrible flat spin. We're in the water, Maverick and Goose. And Maverick's in the water,, oh, 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 and the helicopter's coming over for the rescue. Now this is another scenario where every guy in this room thinks he's maverick. I always thought I was Iceman, but different salmon. You think you're maverick? Newsflash. You're goose. If you haven't seen Top Gun," goose is the guy who's face down dead in the water. How do you rescue that? Well, here's how God does it when he makes us alive in Christ. Jesus comes like a man from the helicopter only. He's coming from heaven. And he comes into the water, into the space you're in. And rather than throw you a rope, what he does is he grabs you to himself. And he binds you to himself. This is a doctrine we call union with Christ. He binds you to himself. He takes on your humanity and binds you to himself. And as he is raised up, he then goes, just like we read in the Ezekiel. Old Testament reading. Just like happened at the beginning of creation when God breathed the breath of life into the earthling he created and a living being came about, this is a new creation where God, rich in mercy, abounding in grace, great in love, predestined, didn't wait for you to call, came out, jumped down, bound you to himself, breathed the breath of life of the Holy Spirit into you that you might be alive with his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we were dead in sin and transgression, but God who loves us made us alive in Christ as the passage goes on verses six and seven and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus I gotta stop and talk about this because this is amazing you might say what do you mean that's weird God raised us up into the heavenly realms I'm sitting in fig tree I'm not sitting in glory. Don't ask your neighbor to pinch you and tell you whether you're dead or not. You're not dead. You're alive if you're in Christ. This is the Jesus who, oh, this is amazing. Heaven and earth are separate realms, okay? Hopefully my picture with a cosmos sort of view shows you that. In Jesus Christ, God brings the blessing of heaven to earth. We call it Christmas. Theologians call it incarnation, where God takes on flesh. This is coming down and stepping into our realm. This is Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, where the blessings of heaven come to us. In his rescue, Jesus binds humanity to himself. Does it not blow your mind like it blows mine that God would take on flesh and live among us? That's incredible. But I'm certain if I was God, even if I was willing to do that, when I was done, when I was done at the empty tomb, I would take that suit off and be back to heaven without it. But that's not what happens. He seated us in the heavenly realms. Beautiful song called Meekness and Majesty describes it like this. Lifts our humanity to the heights of his throne. Takes humanity into the heavenly realm these separate realms, as Ephesians 1.10 tells us, are unified in Messiah. Heaven comes to earth, earth comes to heaven, and we await the return of the Lord Jesus, who will bring heaven and earth with no air, no sky, no sea separating them, where heaven and earth will come together as he is creator and And creature together as he is the divine and the dusty together as he is the heavenly and the earthly together so the love of God is that the rescue we have in Christ is one where he brings heaven and earth together Jew and Gentile together man and woman together all things together in Christ that we might know God's amazing love that doesn't kill us when we're dead or give us wrath, no, he has mercy and he makes us alive in this magnificent way that is beyond realms. So what do you do with that? Paul teaches us in the final part, you repent. When I use the language of repent, you might think I'm about to pound a table or something and say, so stop. No, we don't need to do that. To repent is to change your mind, to focus anew. And more importantly, not just to stop looking here, more importantly, it's to start looking here. And so let's read Ephesians chapter 2, 8 to 10, for the content of our repentance. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork created in Jesus Christ to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. The call today, brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters who, like me, were dead in whoopsies and poopsies, is to acknowledge the mercy and the love and the grace of God, and to turn from work and trusting what I can do uh-oh, what I can do where I get, uh-oh, my whoopsies and my poopsies are bad, so maybe if I do some good stuff in the school, wait a minute, what if I don't trust in that anymore or condemn myself in that anymore and trust in a God who is merciful and gracious, who makes people alive and gives them more than they deserve? Repentance says stop trusting work, start trusting grace. Repentance says stop trusting you, stop trusting you, Start trusting Him. Repentance says, delete the language of proud from your vocabulary. Insert grateful. That, well, What about those times when my kid brings home a good report card? Try this. Rather than say, I'm so proud of you, sweetie. I'm so grateful for you, sweetie. Pride, proud is a word that assesses our scoreboard. Grateful is a word that assesses God's scoreboard and a gift I've received. And it's all a gift. Repentance takes us from pride to grateful, from heir to Christ, and brothers and sisters, the best thing I can tell you, from death to life. So I'm want to lead us in a step of repentance this morning as we come to the Lord's table? As we come to the Lord's table, this was Jesus saying to his disciples, my body's been given for you. You might have thought that uh, your status before God is all about what you will do in your body. But now I say stop trusting your body and start trusting mine. You might rightfully understand that you've become an object of God's wrath you might rightfully understand that when you're under God's wrath, the penalty for that is sin. You might have read, dear disciples, in the Old Testament, that bloodshed is the answer for sin. And so you might anticipate that someday you will die under God's wrath. But I tell you, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. So let's not worry about your condemnation anymore because I've been condemned on your behalf. I shed my blood in your place. And so brothers and sisters, before I recount these words to you again and before we eat together, I'm going to invite us to pray a prayer of repentance together. It's a prayer well known to some of you, maybe new to some of you. It's a prayer that is often said at our eight o'clock service. But it's a wonderful prayer that says, I will be going to God's table. I will be dining with the Lord. I am part of the family. But it sure isn't because of me. It's because of him. I acknowledge my total depravity and I acknowledge his great love. Will you have a go at saying this prayer with me? This is called the prayer of humble access. Let's say it together. We do not presume to come to your table, merciful Lord, trusting in our own righteousness, but in your many and great mercies. We are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under your table, but you are the same Lord, whose nature is always to have mercy. Grant us therefore, gracious Lord, so to eat the flesh of your dear son, Jesus Christ, and to drink his blood, that we may evermore dwell in him and he in us. Amen. And so in a moment, as we eat, this might be your moment of repentance for the first time as you come to trust Jesus. Or this might be a moment where once more God's Holy Spirit, like a a wonderful dance partner leads you in repentance, a wonderful dance partner with a, a hand in the small of your back, just directing you in the steps and where you should go. Turning you away from trusting in you and trusting in Jesus. And so here's what Jesus said on the night he was betrayed. After giving thanks to his heavenly father, he took bread and breaking it, he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after the meal, He took the cup and again giving thanks, he said to them, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. It's my blood that's shed for you. We're shedding my blood rather than your blood. So when you drink it, remember me. And so we're gonna do just as our Lord Jesus has taught us. If you would peel your top clear layer, you'll find a wafer. Let this be our repentance, our faith and our new hope in God's grace. Take and eat this in remembrance that Christ's body was given for you and be thankful. If you peel another layer... The blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, preserve your body and soul for everlasting life. Take and drink this in remembrance. Christ's blood was shed for you and be thankful. When we repent, we receive God's grace in faith. And God tells us that we are made his children. And so let us pray as our Lord Jesus has taught us to pray, where we get to call that God our Father. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil.